Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Paul Reitzer. He's the founder and CEO of PR2020 and author of a great book, The Marketing Agency Blueprint, and a second book we're going to talk about today, The Marketing Performance Blueprint, Strategies and Technologies to Build and Measure Business Success. So, Paul, thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. So tell me a little bit about PR 2020, your agency, because I think that uh, you, you I, I guess they're not necessarily so unique anymore, but uh, when you started it, uh, <laughs> you, you had a kind of a unique model, didn't you? Yeah, interestingly, the original model, uh, kind of close to your heart, was a small business agency. So I started at a traditional PR marketing firm. We did a lot of media relations, brand strategy, strategic planning events. And I started really early in my career questioning the traditional agency model and the inefficiency of the billable hours and things like that. And then I started a business with my wife, she's an artist, in 2004 and realized that we could not afford to do marketing. And I didn't have the time to just dedicate my life to marketing her business. And she couldn't afford the services of our agency. And there really wasn't anywhere to turn for websites, brand identity materials, anything like that. And so I had this idea to kind of merge uh, my I, my vision for where the agency world could go with a solution for small businesses like my wife and my parents own uh, Cookies by Design franchises. And so I was trying to solve for that. And so we changed the pricing model. We went to like a retail style pricing model of set, standardized services mm-hmm. set pricing. And that was the first change we had. And that was I launched the agency in 05. But then in 2007 is when we met HubSpot. And we started working very closely with their leadership team in the early days of HubSpot. And then in early 2008, we kind of evolved into what we would call an inbound marketing agency, which today is a very common term. But in those days, it wasn't a term yet. And we started building services around HubSpot software. And that moved us more into social and content and automation and um, website conversion and optimization and all those elements and kept kind of our new model of pricing, but now evolved it to do more inbound services. And then that became the catalyst for where we are today. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I've shared you know, my story, which is very similar, I, I think, many, many times, that uh, I was doing marketing consulting in the, in the traditional fashion, but loved working with small business owners and, and found that rather difficult uh, because they, they had the same problems and challenges, but not the same time and attention. So I actually created the duct tape marketing system more out of a way to solve my own frustration uh, of, of you know, kind of creating something where I could walk in and say, you know, here's what I'm going to do, here's what you're going to do, here's what it's going to cost. And the, the thing that was immediately apparent to me was it, it was not only solving my own frustration, it was actually solving their greatest frustration, too, because, as, as you mentioned, uh, they're, they're, it's very difficult to buy or understand even marketing services when, when you've got somebody coming in saying, yeah, we'll, we'll – We'll increase your leads, or we'll increase your revenue, and and you know we don't know what it's going to cost, <laughs> to, yeah. but we'll but we'll do it. And I think uh, I think that idea of you know standardized fees and and practices is something that uh, now I think has become pretty common practice. Yeah, definitely, and it, it's still I think a challenge. And to your point, I mean, they, you just have to have systems. And we don't we we still work with some small businesses. Most of our clients would no longer be what you would consider small businesses. But the challenges are still there. And just, I mean, just in the states alone, it's, what is it, 99.7% of, of businesses in the U.S. are small businesses. Yeah. It's, it's a massive market. It is, it's the predominant creation of jobs. And it's, but they are not marketers by trade most of the time. And they, they need that 
those those tools and the systems to make it possible. One of the things that uh, uh, in, in your first book, uh, the agency blueprint, uh, you were. I know others have written about it, but I think you were right. You wrote very strongly about something I believe in uh, in consulting, and that is set pricing and, and service packages. I, I, I think it's uh, I think the the days of selling your time uh, and billing by the hour have really got to come to an end. Yeah, I, you know that is the first chapter of the first book is eliminate billable hours, and it's something that for a few years I just kept my opinions to myself and we just found about doing what we were doing and then over time especially as HubSpot started building up their VAR agency partner program around the models we had kind of worked with them to create more and more people were paying attention to how we were pricing things and I think at the end of the day the story is it has to be value-based for the client and, and the reality of the billable hours it's just not it's the easiest solution for agencies, and that's why a lot of them have used it and continued to use it. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the value you get out of it is the basically the efficiency of the person producing the work. And yeah. so, one hour of one person's time is not the equivalent of one hour of another person's time. And it, so, that alone is such a flawed model; it just doesn't make sense to continue to utilize it. Yeah, I, I read something. Some you know, because I've. I've been using that model for a long, long time, uh, and sometimes I I wasn't the best at articulating why that's a better model. You know, when you're sitting across a desk and that client says, "Well, you only spent 15 minutes to do this. How come you billed me?" Blah blah blah. Um, and and I really think that uh, the uh, I read something somewhere, um, and I can't remember who wrote this, um, but. Uh, uh, really made a great argument for uh, billing by the hour is actually you know sets you up to to decrease the value <laughs> that you're going to deliver because uh, if, if you you know a lot of agencies unfortunately uh, of course none of none of uh, uh, the agencies that have read your book but a lot of agencies <laughs> uh, unfortunately sit around and think of ways to build the client uh, yeah. as opposed to deliver value. Well, that was when I came up. I mean, the agency I worked at, which was a great agency. But the only thing we cared about was hitting your five-hour-a-day billable mark because mm-hmm. and, and, that was how the agency made profits. And it wasn't about how many leads can we generate for the client, how can we affect conversion rate. It was not an outcome-based system. It was a how many hours can we bill system, which, again, inherently does not have the best interest of the client in mind. So. Yeah, I want to I want to shift gears to your your second book, um, and and I I think it's a great follow on. I mean, I think you could put put these books together. I think uh, once you uh, read a lot about uh, creating revenue streams and management systems in the first book, I think uh, you need to immediately turn around and, and talk about performance or measurement of those. That um, you could make a case for saying that book maybe could come first <laughs> for yeah. a lot for a lot of people but but we all know that uh, nobody wants to nobody thinks about measuring until they get everything put in place first but uh, um the the first part uh you, of that book is one that really attracted uh, my attention and and that's where you talk about the gaps that are out there and uh, most importantly probably this talent gap that you described that that agencies one of the challenges is finding people coming out of school uh that uh, that are uh, not only understand the fundamentals of marketing, but I think also probably a greater challenge is to to make the assumption that they understand uh, a, a world where you know digital uh, is supreme. Yeah, and that's what we were seeing. So the, the first book was very much about building a modern marketing agency, and it was an opera- operations, pricing, services. 
The second book is, is the story for marketers, execs, entrepreneurs, which includes agencies, of the convergence of talent, tech, and strategy to drive the performance. And what we're seeing time and time again is marketers as a whole are being held to much higher standards of ROI. They're having to prove the value of everything they're doing and connect it to bottom line results. And the study after study will tell you that marketers are largely underprepared and underperforming. And so for agencies, it actually presents an enormous opportunity because there are gaps within corporate marketing departments and within small businesses where they don't have the abilities to do what's needed, especially in digital marketing. Um, so agencies can fill those gaps. And then for marketers that take the initiative to develop themselves or to train their internal teams in new ways, um, the opportunities are tremendous. And, the, you know, again, there's like one stat would be 75% of marketers say their lack of skills is impacting revenue in some way. Another from Capgemini tells you 90% of companies lack the necessary digital skills in areas like social, mobile, um, content, process automation. So there's, it is a rapidly evolving industry, but it also means it's, there's probably never been, a, never been a better time to be a marketer because of the opportunities that are there for small businesses and agencies. Yeah, you and I were talking uh, before we started this interview about uh, the fact that I, you know, I've I've created this marketing system. I train consultants, and now I'm starting to see um, some agencies that that want this basic, fundamental marketing training uh, yeah. from us and and for their teams, for their consultants or their account execs uh, that they're bringing in. And you actually talk about, um, I think, a really interesting concept um, in how to kind of close some of that gap and, and uh, uh, you, you propose this uh, thing you call an internal academy. You want to mm -hmm. talk about how somebody might go about embracing that idea? Yeah, and in the book we do talk about, there's a whole chapter on constructing an internal marketing academy and the basic premise is that universities aren't able to keep up and they're probably not going to be keeping up. So universities will continue to, to provide the value they have always provided in, in creating a foundation and a structure of learning but they cannot possibly keep up with as rapidly as the industry is changing. I mean, think about the ripple effect Facebook changing their algorithm has. The next mm -hmm. day it impacts or uh, Google releases a new update to their algorithm and all of a sudden the SEO industry is affected across the board. Universities aren't meant to keep up with that rate of change and it's only accelerating. So the, the alternative is for uh, organizations to continue to hire people with the core traits and competencies that they look for, with writing being even more important than it historically right. has been, <laughs> but then put a structure in place to teach them. There's so many phenomenal online educational tools available. I mean, Google will give you free training on how to understand analytics, uh, online marketing institute, content marketing institute, the stuff you're doing, um, marketing profs, all of these organizations have been built around filling knowledge gaps and providing that training. So it's really just on the agencies and the, and the businesses to collect that information and figure out the best way to structure it and then create their own internal programs to advance their talent, you know, really invest in what you're doing and teaching. You um, further kind of shake up the uh what a marketing team even looks like, uh, who, who should be on it, what skills are needed, yeah. uh, who should lead it. And, and so I wonder if you could uh, kind of uh, construct that for us. In, in the first book, we talked about hybrid marketers. And the idea was that specialists will still exist and they will hold a very important role in marketing moving forward. But the reality is that generalists, people who can see across traditional silos like PR, 
advertising, uh, search, you know, basically paid owned earned media. They can really understand how it all works. Because when we launch campaigns today, you can't launch it with just an ad person's perspective or just a PR person's perspective because we need to build truly integrated programs. So the idea is that there will still be specialists, but the people who can like think at a strategic level, envision at a strategic level, but then execute at a tactical level across all these core disciplines of marketing, those are the future CMOs. Those are the people that will control the budgets and the talent and the resources of an organization. And then how you actually structure the marketing team, I don't know that there truly is a blueprint yet for that. You see a lot of experimentation, like somebody like a HubSpot, where they're actually building their team around the, the portions of the funnel, like a top of the funnel team, a conversion team, a lead gen team. Um, it just probably depends on the industry you're in and how you're, you approach marketing and, and even how you align it with sales, what that team looks like. But the, the answer is no longer silos. You, you can't have a digital team and a, an ad team and a PR team and not have them deeply, deeply integrated with each other. Yeah, a number of the organizations that we're working with, uh, we're actually getting them to, as an organization, to actually tackle what the customer journey looks like, and and that content is something that every department <laughs> produces, and not you know not just the the marketing folks. I mean, we I, I have been preaching uh, the idea that that salespeople you know, today kind of need to fit that. That description that you talked about, the CMO, I think salespeople need to have that more general service-oriented, uh, marketing-oriented uh, approach as well. And, and I think that, I think that uh, the silo uh, that you talk about has, is not just a marketing problem. I think it's uh, across the organization. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're right on the money. It's, it's not about how should we function that's in our best interest. It is all about the customer journey and the customer experience. And they don't differentiate between... Yeah the siloed parts that we're used to. They they want to go to the website and have the same experience they may have in store, want to be able to do a live chat or they want to be able to pull up on their mobile phone. And to them, they don't care who's behind it. They just want that experience to be exceptional and uniformed no matter where they're at in their journey with your company. Yeah. Um, I know you have been, particularly since your books have come out, have been doing some some work with other agencies, mm -hmm. uh, much smaller agencies in some cases, one, two, three-person shops uh, that, that are getting a lot of this work done with outsourced teams. Do you have some, some best practices you maybe want to share about how to best work with those third-party providers? Yeah, you know, it's not a model we have traditionally used like we do everything the service we provide we do everything in-house except web development and design so we have um, preferred partners that we work with that a lot of these really smaller agencies do all their production out so the majority of their production outsourced so it's not it's not like we have um, exceptionally deep experience outsourcing everything but the thing we found to be universal is you have to work with like-minded partners so if you're an agency trying to find another agency and the same applies for if you're a a marketer trying to hire an agency, you have to work with people that have the same principles as you do and the same ethic and the same commitment to, to value creation and performance. That's really the thing. And as long as those align, you can usually make the relationships be very effective for both parties. But if, if there's a misalignment of culture or values or processes, it can be really, really hard to make that a viable relationship. Yeah, I've always um, tried to approach them as as true partnerships. I mean, you want to bring yeah. that person in, learn all about them, 
teach them all about you, give them processes or, or, or jointly develop processes that allow you to make sure everything gets done. And I think if you treat it that way as opposed to, oh, this is a vendor, uh, then I think you probably have a better chance of building something that, that's repeatable. Yeah, that's, and you're exactly right. It's, it's treating them as a partner, not a vendor. And that's yeah. really the first step. And it's just like anything else in life. If you're bringing someone in as a partner, you're making a mutual investment, and you, you don't want to waste that time and energy on somebody who's not, not a right fit. Yeah. yeah. Um, another uh, one, one of the last uh, concepts I want to cover uh, that I think uh, we, could, we could all uh, do a better job of, and that's uh, something you talk about, the marketing scorecard. And, and yeah. I think that uh, what I love about that is it, it simplifies. You know, we're not, I mean, we are talking about analytics, but we're not talking about when, when, you, when you use the scorecard and the approach that you take, uh, I think you put it into kind of real understandable, practical uh, concepts that people can pay attention to. Yeah, and what we basically try and do is we think about very simplistic marketing funnel. At the top, you're building brand. You're trying to expand your reach, bring more traffic in, more subscribers. If you're a retail environment, bring more people into the store. You're trying to get more people aware of who you are and what you do. Then you move into the lead generation phase, then into sales conversion, and then the most important part of the funnel, and often the part that's left out of the traditional visuals of a funnel, is the loyalty or retention phase. And so what we advise people to do is have a singular prime goal at each stage of the funnel. So you have four overall goals. And then from there, you identify what are the supporting metrics that tell you if you're doing a good job or not. So for example, it may be if you're a B2B software company, you know, your most important thing may be how many visitors are you bringing to the site. Then it's the lead volume, how many of those are converting into leads. Then it might be your conversion rate. And then from there might be customer lifetime value or churn rate. Those are your four overarching goals, and you're going to build your strategies around them. But then you're also going to look at things like lead quality soar and blog subscribers and social reach because they're indicators that the other main goals are going to be going up or down. And so you want to keep it really simple, especially if you're a small business. There are so many metrics you can look at every day, and it can be overwhelming. And you want to really simplify it to the ones that affect your business goals. Yeah, and I think also the ones that, where you can understand how to impact them. Right. If a certain number is down or a certain thing is not happening, you're not getting enough referrals, you know, whatever it is, where you can say, okay, let's go in and, and dissect this thing because uh, that's how we uh, impact it. When I, I think when people overcomplicate analytics and, and numbers, uh, they, they really they, they don't give them anything actionable. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it is, again, in a small business setting especially, um, you know, there's just so many metrics you truly need to worry about because there's only so many you can impact depending on how many resources you have, how much budget, how many people, time. Um, you got to concentrate on what you can do really well and what you can affect. I wonder if um, if, if you can share some. You, you mentioned some of the places people get uh, can get some great education, but uh, are there uh, some other folks that are writing in the agency world or that you've studied in in the agency world that you think are doing this right? Yeah, there's. Um, let's see, a few people like RSW is a good organization. They do business development. They're like outsourced business development for agencies. Uh, there was a conference going on last week called BOLO, B-O-L-O, and I think that's put on by an organization called Agency Side. Um, and you, I think you mentioned There's Mirren, which does largely a sales. And, um, they're largely a sales organization. They teach people how to do sales better, but they put on a good conference in New York every year. Um, and then 
Yeah, I mean, there's, gosh, there, David C. Baker, I know, is a guy that does, you know, some consulting in this area. Um, you Jay Bear. W- oh, Go yeah, ahead. sure. Sorry. Well, you mentioned uh, WSI, I think. Yeah, Would that qualify because you, you spoke at their conference? Yeah, um, they do an international franchise for agencies. And and you mentioned Jay Bear. I'm going to have breakfast with him tomorrow. He's going to be yeah, in, in, in Kansas City. Right. People know Jay as a speaker and as the author of Utility and um, you know, he's got a obviously really wildly popular blog. What, what a lot of people don't realize is like 50% of Jay's business is consulting to agencies. Yeah. So Jay knows the agency market probably as well as anybody. Yeah. Well, Paul, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, I uh, heartily recommend people pick up the Marketing Performance Blueprint. It's a it's it's obviously a great book for marketers because that's that's the language you're speaking. But I find myself just as a business owner thinking stuff like working with outsourced teams and your internal academy and your marketing scorecard could really apply to uh, any business regardless of industry. Yeah, and there is, for people that grab it, or even if you don't, if you go to performance.pr2020.com, there's a, a free download, a performance pack that's got, like I think, seven or eight template worksheets that has a template scorecard and a template game plan. And people are welcome to grab those and see some of the stuff you're talking about, John, and just kind of maybe help guide their businesses a little bit more. Awesome. Thanks, Paul, for joining us. The Marketing Performance Blueprint, Strategies and Technologies to Build and Measure Business Success. Go get it today. Thanks, John.